This morning reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 9, uh, verses 35, um, chapter 10, uh, verses 1. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord for the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. And, and he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Carmen. If you have your Bibles with me, if you would just hold open until uh, the last few verses of chapter 9 and the first verse of chapter 10. Chapter divisions weren't put into translations of the Scripture until about the 13th century, 14th century, if I'm remembering correctly. So... There's nothing divine about the break of the text. And so this calling of the disciples is where we want to conclude because what we see in Jesus is, is uh, three things today. He's a gospel preacher. He is a compassionate healer and also uh, one who is concerned with the harvest. So we'll, we'll focus our attention on those aspects of, of Jesus today. And would you uh, once again pray with me? Uh, Father, we come to your word and ask that you would open up our eyes to see wonders in it. Help us, Jesus, to marvel at you. May we see you truly as who you are. And we cannot do that without the help of your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray, would you open eyes this morning, remove distractions. Let us focus for just a few minutes on these words and I pray that your will would be done in our lives, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come in our hearts and in our gathering this morning. In your sweet name we pray. Amen. Uh, Jesus is amazing, and we often miss it. And here's a, a little paragraph which kind of points us to some incredible characteristics about who Jesus is. Matthew has been trying to help us see this. He's been leading, as you, if you've been along with us on this journey, he's been leading us through the wonders of who Jesus is by demonstrating his authority over various aspects of life. And that authority extends both to personal life, corporate life, uh, even over demons and over disease. And the people were astonished at Jesus' authority. And the final uh, verse that we looked at last week, the people, verse 33, 9.33, said, we've never seen anything like him. Never in all of the history of Israel have we seen anything like what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus is, he's demonstrating his authority. And, and when we come to this paragraph today, we're going to see him expand that authority. 
He's going to move uh, just a little bit in the progression of the kingdom and, and show us how he's advancing the kingdom of God on earth under his ministry. That's, that's what we're, we're going to see. And so Jesus aims to advance his kingdom by, by calling and, and equipping new leaders. And so that's where the, the last verse takes us, is the calling of his 12 disciples. But just a, a couple of things to meditate on with me. And that's what I'd like us to do. I want us to worship over God's Word today and meditate on some of these truths to think about them because uh, our lives can be changed. When God speaks, lives can be changed. And He uh, knows exactly what you and I both need this morning as we gather together to worship Him together. And so look with me at verse 35, 935, one more time. Let's see a little transition in the kingdom of, of God through Jesus. Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, why in the world would I say this points us to a movement? It's because we haven't seen, it's not the first time we've seen this. We, we've seen it before. Uh, Matthew is, is repeating himself here. And, and we miss those kinds of points as we take little chunks of Scripture. If we were just to sit down and read all of this, you'd have just heard it about three minutes before in the reading of the whole letter. And yet, here's a, a hint. When the Bible gives us repeated phrases, you know it's emphasis, right? When you, when you hear a repeated phrase or uh, you see a, a, a word that's repeated, it's, it's pay attention. And we have seen this back in chapter 4, verse 23. So flip back there with me. Matthew 4.23. Almost the exact same wording. Matthew tells us this. Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction of the people. So this is interesting, and you should ask yourself a question. Why is he doing this? It's, it's, it's very expensive. Where's the, the parchment? It's not easy to come by. It's not like going to buying a pack of paper. Right? This, why is he repeating here? So he's getting our attention. And what we see is a bit of a pattern has emerged. Now, if you go back to chapter 4 with me, the very beginning of chapter 4 is Jesus in the wilderness being attacked by Satan for 40 days. He is being attacked by the enemy. This is before the beginning of his ministry in the um, first half of chapter 4. And then we get to the end. Jesus then, Matthew gives us this summary just before the beginning of his public ministry in verse 23. He says almost the same thing. And so Jesus begins moving. The ministry moves. So then secondly, we see in chapter 5, verse 1, if you're able to scroll or join with me there, we see something about crowds. Jesus seeing the crowds. Matthew 5, 1. And then he responds by going up on a mountain and sitting down and his disciples come to him and then he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. So he gets attacked we get a summary statement, he sees crowds, and then he, he moves. The, the ministry moves and advances. That's very similar to what we see today. You're back now with me in chapter 9. At the very end of chapter 9 that we looked at last week, the Pharisees said to Jesus, they saw everything that the crowds had seen. 
They saw his miracles. They saw the same teaching authority that Jesus had. They saw the authority manifested over disease. They saw the authority manifested over uh, demons. And their conclusion was, he must be a servant of Satan. That's their conclusion. The crowds marveled at him. Never have we seen anything like this. But the leaders, the religious leaders, maligned him by saying, he must be a servant of Satan. And, and now, we get this summary statement in Matthew where we get this general overview of Jesus' ministry. It deals with teaching, it deals with preaching the gospel, and it deals with healing. Same statement. And then what you're going to see is the, a movement in his ministry. There's an advance in the gospel of the kingdom through Jesus. And I'm, I'm, how many of you think Jesus is meek and mild? He's a little baby Jesus, hanging out, just, you know, hoping something good will happen. He is the sovereign Son of God. He's the Messiah. And it, it blows my mind when we focus on Scripture and we miss these little things about Jesus. He will come the next time He comes with eyes flaming fire. He will come on a white horse and He will destroy His enemies with the word of His mouth. My job is to help you get ready for that day. So when that day comes, you can stand in hope of knowing you're on the right team. That's what Jesus, the ministry is moving. And I think the Lord would want to move your opinion of Jesus today in what you think about him and what you see in his life. And so Matthew tells us, here's a little summary. He's teaching, he's doing the same thing. He's moving on. Despite the opposition, Jesus is moving on. It's a fitting day for this to be the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. Because Jesus gets persecuted and his response is, I'm going to keep going. I am going to press on. And many, many Christians who struggle need the prayers for endurance. Don't give up in your struggle to be faithful to the Lord. Stay on par with Him. Keep walking with Him. Maybe you're here today struggling with that. But we see this, this continuation of teaching, preaching the gospel, and then healing. That's basically Jesus' ministry. He goes from synagogue to synagogue. Everywhere He goes, He teaches. What is teaching? Teaching is communication of truth. Simple. Teaching is communication of truth. There's many teachers in this room. I wish we could stop and have a little discussion on how, how would you teachers define teaching? In essence, I think it's communicating the truth. Jesus does preaching. He proclaims the gospel. What's the difference between preaching and teaching? It's, it's very subtle. Preaching entails communicating truth, but then it also involves a call to a response for the truth. So preaching calls for a response. The truth is presented, but then is it embraced and is it responded to? And then the third portion of Jesus' ministry is a healing. Jesus heals. So the teaching and the preaching are seen to be valid and true and right because of the proof provided in the power of the healing. That the miracles affirm the message. And Jesus still heals. He still heals this very day. And I am reminded a couple, about a year ago, I preached on Matthew 4.23, that passage that we just read. 
And in that passage, that morning that I preached on that passage, at the end of the service, I prayed for uh, those who might need healing. And someone was healed in that service. And so uh, I want you to know that Jesus still heals. I didn't do anything. I didn't jump up and down and do calisthenics. I didn't even know this person was healed. God just healed this person. Who then later told me of what happened. And so uh, maybe you're, you need healing of some sort. I know a Savior who can heal every disease if he so chooses. He can heal every bruise of the soul, every physical wound, every emotional or spiritual wound. The Lord Jesus can heal. And so, uh, preaching, teaching, and then the gospel. And I, I couldn't help but just stop for a moment. How many of you feel equipped to say what the gospel is? What is the gospel? We use that word a lot. And yet, how many of us feel... Uh, you're competent in able, being able to communicate the gospel. So we have to push pause and say, what is the gospel? Now Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's still alive. So what Jesus would have been preaching at that moment is quite different from what we would say the gospel is today because we're living on this side of his life, his death, and his resurrection, and yet the gospel is the same. And so Jesus would have said something like, you remember God's promises? The promises to send a deliverer, the promise to send a redeemer, speaking to Israel, the Messiah has come. The Redeemer has come. He says, repent then because of the coming of, of the Messiah. It's time to repent. It's time to put away all of your toying with sin. Repent, turn away from the sin, and embrace the principles of the kingdom. Turn wholeheartedly to God who keeps His promises. You, you might have despaired. God wouldn't keep your promises, but I'm here. Messiah is here. And so turn away from those sins and turn towards the Lord God with all of your might and soul and strength. Obey him. We're called to obedience of the gospel. And so the kingdom has come. Jesus said that. Repent of your sins. The kingdom has come. And so there is grace. There is forgiveness. And if you think you can't enter into the kingdom because you're unworthy, you're right. We all are unworthy. And yet, there is a sweet Savior who stands before you saying, God the Father, the creator of all of the universe, is a compassionate God. He is a merciful God. Mercies that are new every morning. And when you fail every day, which is presumed in the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to say in just a little while, right? What is part of the Lord's Prayer? Forgive me. As often as you pray for bread, you know you're to pray for forgiveness. It presumes there's going to be some kind of failure. And yet there is a God who grants mercy. I think Jesus would have said something like that. Now, in, we're standing on this side. We now can say the Messiah has atoned for sin. We know that sin has actually been atoned for because he was resurrected. Proof that the payment was accepted by the Father and life was granted. And so you can know that your sins will be forgiven because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he now reigns. And so he, he is fulfilling the kingdom. So won't you come to a Savior who gave his life for you to give you eternal life? There's the gospel. Now, I, I try in all of my heart to make the gospel uh, understood. 
and communicated in different ways. And so I, I wrote a poem that communicates the essence of the gospel. It's not, some of you are like, last time you wrote a poem, it was 23 minutes long. This is not this kind of poem. It's just a simple way of remembering the gospel. So I'm just going to read it to you and, and see if it makes sense. God created, man sinned, God cursed the world and cast out man from the Garden of Eden. God then promised a new route. God called, man stalled, Think of all the wasted time in the wilderness. Right? The Father sent, the Son went. John cried, repent! Messiah arrived. Enemies contrived. Jesus died. Mary cried. Then atoned. Satan dethroned. The third day, Jesus rose again. And then heaven took him in. Jesus sat down and the devil frowned. Holy Spirit poured out. Heaven gave a shout. Sinners born again. Christ's church did begin. Curse undone. God and man now one. Judgment is sure. Will you endure? Believe in the Son. Confess Jesus is the one. Gladly bend your knee. And eternally you will be free. Here's the gospel in 56 words. I, I don't think we're going to be putting that on a bracelet anytime soon, but maybe that's a way to remember. There's, there's ways to be creative about sharing the gospel, and, and I pray that something of how we think about the gospel would take root in your heart and would capture your imagination that the God who created this world and then cursed it did not leave us in the curse. And we're all struggling with the curse. We, we bump up against it every time we turn around. This world is broken. Just look at the headlines, watch the news, but not for too long. It's depressing. And yet there is a Savior. And He is sweet because He looks at this broken world and His heart is moved. Next verse. 936. When Jesus saw the crowds, there's that repeated phrase, he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So here's Jesus spreading the gospel of the kingdom. He looks out at the world and he's moved with compassion. He sees the crowds of people and he's moved with compassion. Compassion is an interesting word. In, in, the English word literally means to suffer with someone. To experience suffering, the passion of Christ, the suffering of Christ. Com means with, prefix for with. So compassion is suffering with someone. It's entering into their suffering. But the Hebrew word means to experience great affection for, to be deeply moved to the core of one's being, literally in the entrails and the bowels, which are regarded as the seat of the emotions. So Jesus looks out at the crowds of people who are following him and he has an inward response, a, a movement of, of compassion and love entering into the suffering of those who he sees. And I, I was stunned by this because if you look out at the crowds of the world, what, what do you see? What happens to you? We look at the crowds of the world. Are they annoying? Irritating? Are they the means of corrupting the culture? 
Or do you see what Jesus sees, which is they are harassed and helpless and in need of compassion, a, a physical movement of love and, and inward moving towards the people who you're looking at. That's what Jesus saw. He was moved with compassion. And it struck me this morning as I was opening up my Bible to my daily reading, God is the same way. How many of you, when you think about God the Father, think of Him as compassionate? I wonder if we were to you know, get a little whiteboard and write down what's the qual- attributes of God. Is, is compassion going to be one of them? You know, God is compassionate. And Jesus is the Son of God manifesting compassion. So here I bumped into, in the course of my daily reading, and I tell you guys, reading the Bible is dangerous. You, you read it regularly, your life will be changed. Isaiah 49.10 says this, He who has pity on them, this is a synonym for compassion, he who has pity on them will lead them. For the Lord has comforted his people, verse 13 of 49, and he has compassion on his afflicted. Notice the possession. He has compassion on his people. He's moved with, this is God the Father. Not only is he moved with compassion, but he, he wants to comfort. And this is what Jesus does. He looks out at the world, who some of us would look at and say, I don't want anything to do with them. I want to stay as far away from the mess as I possibly can. And Jesus says they are harassed and helpless. Do you see the world like that? Do your coworkers, everybody you bump into on the train, you're going through the busyness of your week, do you, do you see people as helpless and harassed? I think it probably depends upon the job you have. Maybe you do see them. Most of us, I think, probably don't. The word harassed literally means bullied and oppressed to trouble, tear, mangle, or flay. Harassed, attacked. They're physically attacked. And then helpless means unable to defend themselves. No way of preventing the attack. No way to stop the oppression. No way to get out from under what the burden is. And this is how Jesus sees the people. Helpless and harassed. And the question is, well, who's harassing them? By whom are they being harassed? The world, the crowds. Well, certainly it's the devil, right? There's certainly a demonic activity that we have seen throughout all of Matthew. And so, yes, the enemy has something to do with this. But in the context of Matthew, as we just finished that paragraph, who's doing the harassing in the previous paragraph? It's the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the one watching the miracles of Jesus and listening to the teaching of Jesus and then concluding, he's a servant of Satan. They're the ones, they're the spiritual leaders of the people. They're the ones who should have been helping the people. They're the ones who should have been offering encouragement during seasons of suffering, and they don't. They're making it worse. In fact, Jesus will say at another occasion, and at the end in Matthew 23, the Pharisees are the ones who tie up heavy burdens on people and then won't lift one finger to help carry them. They heap up legalistic burdens about you've got to do this in order to be accepted. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. You've got 613 laws you have to keep in order to be accepted by God. If you fall short, too bad. But by the way, could you please make a donation on the way out the door? This is the Pharisees. 
And, and they are harassing people and people are helpless. The demonic world, they are doubly under slavery by those who ought to be helping them, but also by a spiritual force uh, of sin and Satan. We're harassed. The crowds are harassed and helpless in every way. And, you know, sometimes uh, Jesus says, you know, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't know about you, but in your own spiritual journey, aren't you sometimes your own worst enemy? You, you like being referred to as sheep. Sometimes sheep are their own worst enemies because they get in their own way. Poor little helpless creatures can't get out of uh, any situation, can't find their way to good food. And, and some of them, I, I found a little picture, you, you wonder why are they unable to be defended? Well, they can't even see where to go. I mean, this guy, he can't cut his own hair. He's unable to defend himself. He doesn't even know from what direction the enemies are coming. And when he hears them, when sheep hear enemies coming, they just freeze up and fall over. You ever seen sheep do that and goats do that? Paralyzing kind of fear. That's sheep. When Jesus, when the, when the shepherd, Psalm 23, leads sheep by gentle flowing streams, it's because if they're too loud, they'll freak out. Right? That's us. We are sheep. We are like sheep. And I know it's not a very flattering analogy, is it? Because we all think, I'm a whole lot smarter than sheep. But spiritually speaking, because of our own sin and because of the reality of Satan in this world, we're under condemnation and then we have an enemy attacking us from the outside. Our own sin is, is gnawing at us from the inside and we have an outward enemy as well. Spiritually speaking, we are helpless. We are harassed from without and from within and we are absolutely helpless unless somebody comes along and says, I will help you. I will enter into your mess. I will help bear the burden. And that's what the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the priests should have done. But they didn't. They didn't do it. And there is this phrase, like sheep without a shepherd, it repeats several times in the Old Testament, but there's one chapter in particular that's very striking, which God condemns the spiritual shepherds of Israel for not helping. And I want to read it to you. It's, it's Exodus 34. But here's the background of this phrase that is in Jesus' mind. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the priests, the leaders, those who were supposed to be spiritually helping the people. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the sheep, uh, shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, with force and harshness you have ruled, and so they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, because they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth, with none to search for them. And so, you shepherds have failed, and so I myself, says the Lord in 34, 10 to 16, 
I'm against you, shepherds. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when they are scattered, so I will seek my sheep. I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them with good pasture. I myself will shepherd, uh, be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will, myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, bring them back to the strayed. I will bind them up, and I will strengthen the weak. God says, these guys are failing. They are failing. The spiritual leaders are failing, so I'll do it myself. That is exactly what Jesus did. He came to do what we cannot do. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot atone for our sins. We cannot do enough good works to earn God's favor. You can't do it. It's impossible. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And yet Jesus came to do exactly that. He came to do what we were helpless to do. He died to give us life. He poured himself out in order to be the bringer of the kingdom of God. And so he, he knows the harassment. He entered into it. He knows the helplessness of us because he became one of us and he knows all of the weaknesses that we struggle with. Bodies failing, everything that we do wrong. Jesus lived through it and he overcame it. And so he says to the Pharisees, I think this is why it's important. The Pharisees responded to Jesus. He's a servant of Satan. They, they have shown themselves to be unworthy of being the shepherds of Israel, of, of God's people. And so Jesus, in Matthew's writing of this, he presents the, the conclusion of the Pharisees. Jesus is of the devil. And then what does Jesus do? Look at verses 37 to 38. So he sees the crowds. They are harassed and helpless. He has compassion on them. And verse 37 and 8, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So you see what Jesus has done? Pharisees have failed. They are unfit to be the spiritual shepherds of the people. Jesus preaching, teaching, he, he looks at the people he is preaching and teaching and he's moved with compassion. And then he says, new kingdom, time for some new leaders. Time to move forward. Not going to stop at the opposition. Pharisees are ready to say, I am of Satan. I'm not, I'm not quitting. I, in fact, the work is so great, I need some helpers. I need laborers in my mission. And so, disciples, you followers of me, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And notice verse 10. There's a little... There's things that Matthew doesn't tell us. But then Jesus chooses 12 disciples and then he says to them, go out. Look at verse 1, chapter 10. But he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to, every, to heal every disease and every affliction. So he says, I need you to join me on my mission. Guys, we're going to expand the mission. The opposition is intensifying, but we are going to pray to the Lord of the harvest that you, with me, will move forward into reaping this harvest as he looks out at the people. So looking at the crowds is what moved Jesus to do this. And he says, I want you to pray, to the Lord of the harvest. There's only one person to whom Jesus ever prayed or ever commended other people to pray to, and it's God the Father. God the Father is the Lord of the harvest. And so Jesus says, pray earnestly. 
Interesting word, earnestly. It means ask for with urgency, beg, or plead. It means this is not perfunctory prayers. I want passionate prayers. Earnest prayers, begging, pleading, Lord, will you send out laborers into the harvest? We need to go. And then God, move them. He, he does, what's amazing to me, he does not say, can you guys, as soon as the service is over, go out and witness to 15 people. Go and do it. That's not what Jesus says. He, he says, pray earnestly. Prayer precedes evangelism. Earnest prayer is the call of Jesus here. I want you praying first. Now, there's another sermon coming that the people who are praying are moved to go out. And we're going to get there, but not today. Today is a day for praying. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And there are very painful realities that if you want to stand up for Jesus in this world, you're going to get hit. You are going to be targeted. You're going to lose jobs. You're going to be passed over for the promotion. Um, you're going to be let go. You'll be excluded from office parties. And you might get a pay cut. Uh, you, you're going to suffer persecution. And it's going to get probably worse than that. People will laugh at you. And soon, as we saw around the world, there will be physical manifestations of that kind of persecution. And what does Jesus say? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So as we conclude, what do I see here about Jesus? I see a man who in the face of blasphemous opposition says, I'm going to keep preaching and keep teaching and healing people. I'm going to continue with the mission that God has given me. He then looks at the people to whom he is called to reach out to and his He's emotionally touched. He's moved within himself and the core of his being with great affection and love. He sees people who are helpless and harassed and he says, we need to help. We need to enter into, I'm, I'm going to be working, but he says, I want you to come along with me. And Jesus doesn't need a single person to help him. You realize that. He could say one word and the harvest would be brought in. Isn't it interesting? He chooses not to do that. He looks at his disciples and he says, will you go with me? You want to come with me? I pray. Are you with me? And, and then he calls us, get on your knees. That's amazing to me. He does not have to do that. He could hire some angels who are much more probably effective than we are. He could do any number of other things and yet he calls us to join him. So, when you look at the world, are you moved with compassion or annoyance? When you look at lost people, um, do you think uh, they are okay? When, when you look at the world, does it, do you think everybody's just doing their own thing? I really don't need to get involved. Or do you see what Jesus sees? These folks are helpless to save themselves. Helpless. Unable to. You cannot save yourself. There needs to be the intervention of a suffering Savior who comes. And we have to share that message. That message has to be shared. And so when you look at the crowds, when you go to work this week, look at the people with whom you work. What's going on within you? Pray. 
When you, when you look at your neighbors, do you think, everybody's just, you know, everybody's okay. The world's fine. They're just, we're all going to get there. We're not, folks. That's not a biblical response. Jesus, we've already looked at it. Jesus said, there'll be a lot of people who'll come to me one day and say, you were my Lord, and I did all kinds of crazy cool stuff. And he says, I never knew you. That, that is a painful reality, but we have to talk about it. Because if we don't, we won't be able to talk about salvation. So what's your, what's your field? What are, what are you going to pray for? When you, this week, some of you are in the medical field. Pray for God to send harvesters into the medical field. Some of you are in academia. Pray for God to send laborers into academia. Some of you are in the legal field. Pray for God to send laborers. Some of you are your doctors. Pray for the medical field. Pray for teachers. Pray for students. For God to send laborers. And, and Jesus is looking for people who will join him in this work. The harvest is plentiful, he says. But there's not a plentiful amount of laborers. So, let's pray. I'm going to ask you to, to pray with us. And we're going to share communion together because that's something else that Jesus called us to do. But in, in preparation, would you just pray with me? Lord, we um, want to, as it were, bow before you. You are the Messiah. You are the sovereign Son of God. We know that you suffered. You bled. You poured out your lifeblood. And you died. You were buried. And we know that you didn't die for your own sins because you were resurrected on the third day. And the Bible tells us that was all according to plan. And we, Jesus, we believe that you are the one through whom God effected his word and his will in this world. And Lord, we would ask you, would you pour out this boldness on us? Would you create within us a desire to work for your kingdom like you? Would you call us, let us hear you speaking our name to join you on this mission that you are on? And Jesus, would you, would you let us see the crowds of people around us like you see them? Would you please keep us from seeing wrongly or choosing to willingly overlook the fact of sin in this world and the, the consequences that the Bible tells us? And so, Lord, if there's any in this room who does not know you, then I pray, would you let today be the day that they surrender to you and call out to you for salvation? Lord, but we ask, would you, would you move your people? Let us be moved with the same kind of compassion that moved you. Would you move us? And would you move us closer to your heart? Would you help us to love the things that you loved and to hate the things that you hate? The Lord Jesus, we ask all these things in your powerful name. Amen.